There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. Welcome, Fight fans. It's time for the main event of the week. This is episode 19 of the Fight City podcast. And Jamie, all's well that ends well, but certainly this weekend didn't end too well in Madison Square Garden. We had 14,000 fans, and pretty much every one of them was teed off. Uh, in some way or another with the way Amir Khan pulled out of the fight in the sixth round against Terrence Crawford. Once again, I'm Alden Kodash, the host, being joined by Jamie Rebner of thefightcity.com. What was your take of Crawford versus Khan? Oh, first, I just wanted to ask you actually about the um, atmosphere because I had been to Crawford's fight in New York uh, against Hank Lundy a few years back, and it was obviously at the smaller venue, but this was at the big, big Madison Square Garden. Did you feel like it was a passionate crowd uh, there was about 14,000 there how did how did you find it you know I, I think honestly the British fans were a little more belligerent than Kant excuse me than uh, Crawford's fans to be honest uh I I I you know the bar is kind of set high for me in the garden because you know I've I sat in uh in way up in the boonies for Canelo's fight against Rocky Fielding and that was sold out and you know that that was a livid excited crowd uh terrence crawford uh is no slouch but he's definitely not at that level yet that he's uh uh you know a, a star of the level of canelo and probably no one is in the sport right now but um i was not overly taken away but i mean fourteen thousand that's more than uh i think those are slightly better numbers than lomachenko and lenaris did so those aren't uh rookie numbers but you know for right. an espn pay-per-view fight i i don't think it's going to do any terrific uh, numbers in terms of how many buys they got. Um, I would highly doubt if they do better than Earl Spence and Mikey Garcia. Yeah, for sure. No, it was, um, I guess it's good to see that at least Crawford is pulling in some numbers. How much of that is because of Khan's fans? It's hard to tell, you know, it's, it's just all we get is the big picture, but as far as the, the ending is concerned, I mean, my take was that throughout the fight, I feel like Crawford really could have, finished it or, or could have pressured and, and forced to finish at any point. I really didn't feel like, you know, Khan had anything for him in particular, but um, just the way it ended on the low blow and it was very, you know, as, as you said, it was anticlimactic. And, and I feel like Khan essentially was looking for a way out. I mean, he wasn't having much success. He was getting hit pretty cleanly throughout. So I feel like it was his chance and he kind of took advantage of it. That's, that's how I, I, I viewed it as it was happening. What about you? Yeah, I think that's how most people in attendance viewed it. But at the post-fight press conference, yeah, he was all over the place. Initially, he was uh, very congratulatory of Crawford, and he was, uh, you know, very deferential, saying he it was a great privilege being in the ring against such a great fighter. And then he said, "I would never quit. Uh, I didn't quit. It was Virgil Hunter that stopped it." And then he tweeted recently saying that he was pissing blood after the fight, and uh, it, it almost sounded like he was trying to. Uh, show fans that he had every reason to quit. So yeah, he, he clearly is uh, very emotional as you'd expect after this fight. Uh, he did say he's going to speak to his family and uh, come to a conclusion with them of the future of his career. Uh, we did have Kel Brook in attendance, but 
honestly, I, I, this is not a great fight in my opinion, but I think Kell Brook is more likely to fight Terrence Crawford than the fight with Amir Khan and Kell Brook is likely to finally materialize. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, uh, I was hoping that Crawford would get it over with before something weird like that happened. Not that I expected anything weird like that to happen. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely a disappointment. Uh, the fans were not happy with either fighter. Each fighter was booed in the post-fight interviews, uh, even though Crawford didn't really do anything wrong. Really, his head was pushed down, and he landed a very low blow, but I wouldn't call it an intentional low blow. And, you know, fighters, as I noted in the fight recap, you know, historically, fighters don't win on uh, isolated low blows. Regardless of what Khan was trying to say in that, you know, he was getting hit repeatedly below the belt. That's not what anyone I knew uh, saw happening. And, you know, he got hit by an isolated foul, just like Henry Buchanan did against Roberto Duran. And uh, maybe there were a little more low blows exchanged in there. And uh, Freddie Norwood was hit with a low blow by Derek Gaynor. And uh, he wasn't able to get out of the fight with a victory on that basis. So, Right. Khan wasn't able to either. He probably should have known better, especially after Zab Judah pulled out of his fight, uh, claiming he was hit low and took a full count. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think Khan was trying to pull out of victory there. I think he was just looking for a way out. Right, and it's like, I guess in that sense, I'm happy that, that there was no. It was a TKO and not a disqualification, so we don't have to see a rematch anytime soon because that would have just delayed things for oh, that would have been horrendous yeah. that would have that would have been uh, a sport-wide travesty exactly of which there uh, are many so <laughs> hopefully thankfully we avoided one another one of those that that would be well it would be worse than montel griffin against roy jones won because montel griffin was actually winning that fight or at least uh winning plenty of rounds in that fight whereas amir khan won one round on uh just two judges scorecards the other had him shut out after the first five rounds just as i did uh, yeah, this was not a, a very close fight at all. Khan did land some shots that have some moments, uh, but he was way upmatched, both with the power of Crawford and uh, the overall technical package that Crawford brings. And of course, Crawford and Bob Arum are uh, very uh, eager to call out Earl Spence and very eager to blame Al Heyman uh, for the fight taking so long to get made. Of course, I saw, I think we all saw the 50-50 uh, social media excerpt from Aram saying that he's, he's willing to get a network collaboration and a 50, 50 deal. I, I don't really see why given the high card that Earl Spence and Heyman hold right now, why they would settle for as little as 50, 50. I feel like they kind of have the high card here because they have all the options. Right. And I guess it's also like, I mean, who does like, when would this potentially take place? Cause obviously Spence has a lot of matchups in PBC stable at welterweight, so he has no issues fighting Thurman and Garcia and Pacquiao, whoever else is potentially available. Whereas, um, you know, Crawford simply doesn't have that type of opposition with top rank. So it's like, who's more desperate? You know, I feel like Spence could just keep fighting who he's fighting and continue to win and at least rack, like rack up victories against meaningful opponents. Whereas I can't say the same for Crawford. Yeah, and not just meaningful opponents. I mean, he could rack up those kind of victories against the likes of uh, your Dennis Ugas or or even Danny Garcia, but he can also go for the major fights against Thurman and Manny Pacquiao and uh, maybe Sean Porter to some extent. I'm not sure if that would be a major fight, but that would be a very big fight. And 
yeah, obviously Crawford doesn't have those same opportunities. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if his next fight is against Kell Brook. Sad to say, uh, kind of surprised that Kell Brook was was uh, interested in moving back down to 147 after you know after the loss to Earl Spence and him you know moving up to 154, claiming he couldn't make 147 anymore. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's not a fight that I'd be interested in seeing. Well, yeah, and it's just, I, I find it, the whole post-fight interview, the blaming of Heyman, it's like, I don't know, I just, it's no one, no one's going to feel bad for Bob Araman's situation because, like, it's just, like, it's easy to point fingers, but uh, at the end of the day, if you want to make this fight happen, like, you're going to need to cooperate with someone that you typically don't cooperate with, and it's just, it just showed that he maybe doesn't seem ready to do that at this point, I don't I mean, it's it's bullshit what it comes down to, but that's unfortunately the reality with much of boxing these days. Yeah. Well, fights don't get made on Twitter. They don't get made on social media. They obviously get made behind closed doors with a bunch of barriers to entry, including uh, network collaboration in this case, uh, two different promotional companies, and it would be a unification. So they would have to sort through any mandatories and, you know, it's always a mess, but, you know, I'm always a firm believer that if the fighters really, really want it or Rather, the promoters really, really want it. They could find some way of making it happen. Uh, that's the big question here, whether or not each promotional entity wants to risk uh, their cash cow, in a sense, or one of their best talents in Manny, excuse me, in uh, Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford. So in the undercard, the co-feature, we had Teofimo Lopez, and he shined again, the takeover hashtag. Uh, he scored a fifth-round knockout over Edis Tatley, former title challenger, fought Richard Brio a little while ago. Never been knocked down, never been knocked out, but Teofimo Lopez dominated the fight, was in control, and stopped him with a body shot in round five. Went down, went down for the full count, didn't bother getting up, and Teofimo Lopez improves his record. Uh, did you get a chance to see any of his highlights? Uh, what do you think of Teofimo Lopez? I mean, yeah, I saw the finish. Uh, excellent backflip as well, as he's become known for. Yeah. I just, it's... It's like he's he's building up a name for himself. He's a knockout artist. People love that. He's undefeated. He talks a good game. Again, it's just, you know, as Teddy Atlas likes to say, against who? It's like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's beating guys that he should beat. And I feel like I've made this point numerous times on the podcast thus far. It's like too often we're, we're, we're seeing guys, you know, yeah, they will look impressive, but it's it's for the most part expected. And like, I know he's, he wants a title shot next. I think he's supposed to main event in New York or in July, if I'm not mistaken. I remember yep. reading something that's, about that. Yep. That's uh that's the top ranked plan at least. Right. So it's like, I mean, who the opponent, I guess is key. He's, he's willing to step in against the, the titleists at, um, in his weight class. It's just, I mean, I know there's the talk about Vasily Lomachenko and, and I don't know how realistic that is anytime soon. What do you think about that? Well, you know, we, we did get a chance to, he was one of the three fighters at the post-fight press conference, Teofimo Lopez, and he did talk pretty openly with the media. I got a chance to ask him a couple questions. Uh, and he, he said, you know, he, he would love to fight Lomachenko neck. He'd fight anyone. He's, he's, you know, he's, he claims he's probably in over his head saying he'd fight anybody, but he would be willing to go up against Lomachenko. But it looks like, or what it sounded like is that top ranks plan is to kind of milk that fight, uh, if if anything, make it into a major unification fight when uh, Mikey Garcia's lightweight title gets stripped from him. Seems like inevitably, unless he makes an unlikely move back down to lightweight, and they'll uh, you know they'll fight for all four belts after 
Teofimo Lopez fights someone like Richard Comey and wins a title, or or maybe he puts himself in line for a vacant WBC title against Luke Campbell. Uh, those are the kind of fights that are realistic for Teofimo Lopez in the near future, if not his next fight, uh, somewhere down the road. And we'd probably be looking at a, a spring fight against Teo, or excuse me, against Vasil Lomachenko if everything goes well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Lomachenko, it, it seems like Luke Campbell and uh, Richard Comey are, are the names that each of them might be on a collision course against before the two of them get in the ring together. Uh, you know, I, I saw a good name listed by a, uh, Adam Abrahamovitz of SM Boxing. He said he'd like to see Teofimo Lopez against a guy like Ricky Burns. I think that would be a good fight, especially a good fight to headline the Garden at in July, which is the talk is that he'll either be featured in the theater or the main arena at Madison Square Garden in July. I think that's the right move for him. I think that's the right idea. I don't really see him getting a, a fight against Comey uh, or or Luke Campbell on that short notice, but who knows? I mean, this guy, he is, good, he is the goods, and he certainly is uh, appearing to make the case to his promoters that he's willing to fight anybody. Yeah, and, and I agree with that type of track. I, if he can't get Comey or Campbell, that makes sense. And at least if, if he could in the next fight be up against them, then we could truly get a sense of where he's at, you know, because I feel like knocking out guys, I mean, with re, with little to no resistance isn't necessarily helping him develop as, as much as it's helping his highlight reel develop. I think like we need to see him tested and, and, and one of those champions would likely be one of the, the types of fighters to, to, to make that test happen. So I definitely interested in seeing how that would play out. And, and obviously Lomachenko down the road makes sense. Uh, I know that there's been some back and forth between them. And I know Teofimo Lopez has like said, they had him on the, on the telecast the week before when uh, Lomachenko fought Krola and he was like, but who he's knocked him out, but who has he fought? And it's just like, man, you, you can't be making that statement. You haven't fought anyone yourself. So it's like Lomachenko is <laughs> basically, he's fighting whoever they put in front of him, but those are at least former champions or, or current champions. So like, I think it's a little bit uh, short-sighted, but look, obviously that's the fight to make in the future. And I would definitely be, be looking forward to it if it gets made. Yeah. I mean, Lomachenko is not going anywhere. Uh, he seems to have peaked and being at 135, doesn't look like he can get much heavier than that. doesn't look like he wants to go any higher than that. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, on the other hand, he's a very big lightweight that might be pressing that weight division uh, in terms of cutting weight to make it. Uh, and his half-life might be limited to maybe a year or two before he's forced to grow up into a junior welterweight or eventually welterweight frame. I mean, I believe he's only 22 years old, maybe 21, 21, 22. He's very young. Uh, he's, he's very, he's big for the weight division. He's definitely taller than Lomachenko and more filled out. So it's going to be interesting to see if that fight can get made before, uh, before Teofimo Lopez grows out of the weight division. It's a right. similar concern with Spence versus Crawford, because we know that Spence, it's not easy for him to make 147. Just hope those two get in the ring before Spence grows out of the weight division. Uh, I'm sure that's a concern with many other people. No, for sure. It's like the talk. The clock is ticking, and uh, as uh, we don't need any more marinating for for this fight, that's for sure. So hopefully, like you said, hopefully it gets done sooner sooner rather than later. Yeah. Well, speaking of marination, I mean, uh, some would argue that Shakur Stevenson's needs a little more seasoning before he's thrown against the best at 126, or particularly the champions at 126, like Josh Warrington or, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, Luis Santa Cruz. Uh, but 
On Saturday, he got a 10-round decision over Christopher Diaz, who challenged for the WBO Junior Lightweight Championship of the World last year, going 10 rounds for the first time in his career. I thought he won every round. Uh, Julie Letterman thought he won every round. The other two judges had him winning almost every round. He looked very good, and I think he probably could have got a stoppage against Diaz if Diaz uh, put himself out there a little more in the late rounds because he was tagging him. In the sixth round, I think he had Diaz in a little bit of trouble, and from there on, Diaz uh, he put himself out of harm's way and, and survived the 10 rounds. You know, Credit to him for getting past it, but uh, Shakur Stevenson, I mean, another very impressive performance. Yeah, and it's a, I read that he, you know, he he's not interested in the slow build. He's kind of wanted to advance himself quickly, and so this was obviously a big step up in competition, at least in terms of his previous opponents. And getting a clean sweep on the cards for the on the cards for the most part, you know, bodes well for him. How did you see him with like? I know you said he, he appeared to hurt him slightly, but yeah. is he a powerful puncher? Is he? You know, I know he's more of a boxer than a puncher at this point, but he's a boxer puncher. He's a he's a very strong puncher. Uh, he almost looks like he's too big for one twenty six. Uh, he he backpedals, but he's always in position to punch. And his left hand, he can throw it from a variety of different angles, and it's a very thudding, powerful punch. You can definitely hear his punches. And um, I just hope he doesn't get into too much legal trouble before he gets a chance to get in the ring against the best at 126 because he's certainly ready. And if he's not in a title shot in his next fight, uh, <clears throat> maybe a guy like Scott Quigg would be the logical next fight. I know Quigg has done some business with top rank before. I think that fight would make a lot of sense. And maybe that would be just the right of marination needed for Stevenson to make a a, uh, a logical segue into the elite level featherweight competition guys like Oscar Valdez guys like Josh Warrington. I mean, these are very good fighters. Uh, and obviously a, a level above who Stevenson has been in against so far. Christopher Diaz was certainly a step up in competition and Stevenson, uh, shined and, uh, came out in flying colors, but, uh, still not quite the level of a Oscar Valdez. Right. Right. And, and I know, you know, Stevenson is the Olympic silver medalist, a former Olympic silver medalist, and has a lot of potential. Do you see him as being like a future star in the sense of like being able to, you know, sell out venues? Or is he more of a guy that's going to, you know, rack up the victories, but not necessarily, you know, become the quote unquote face of boxing, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to find too many stars uh, south of the lightweight division. Uh, right. If he, if he moves up, enough and it, it certainly looks like he's getting he's getting uh he, he's growing and he's he's not going to level out at 126 by no means I, I think he might end up being a multi-division world champion which lends to being a future star uh he clearly has a lot of maturing to do but he has a fan-friendly style he's uh you know, excellent boxer puncher that's uh very hard to hit so that bodes well for his longevity right. and i uh I mean, we'll have to see. We'll have to see where his career goes, but he's certainly doing all the right things at this point. I think this is only his 11th fight, and he's already yeah. fighting guys like Christopher Diaz, who challenged for a world title competitively uh, last year. So I, I think Stevenson is... I think uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him. But uh, yeah, so we have plenty of prospects on the card besides Stevenson, Teofimo Lopez. Uh, we had Felix Verdejo, who was once a huge prospect. He got a hard-fought decision victory over Brian Vasquez, who challenged for a title twice in the lower weight divisions, kind of settled into his journeyman-type role, but he gave a good effort. He uh, he won a few rounds. He actually came on very strong late in the fight, surprisingly, 
because I thought Verdeo was carrying the fight for most of the middle rounds. But uh, Felix Verdeo gets the victory. And I think the question circulating around is, is Verdeo not good enough to preclude him from uh, <laughs> being the sacrificial lamb for Teofimo Lopez in the near future? Right. Yeah, no, I, act I actually... I met Felix Verdejo once at the Boxing Hall of Fame. I got to take a picture of him a few years back when he was like, you know, supposed to be the next Tito Trinidad. But yeah. obviously things have taken a, an unfortunate turn for him in that sense. And I mean, he has the skills. I just, I, he also got into a car accident. I remember a yeah, like, motorcycle accident. Motorcycle accident. Yeah. So he's had some issues there and recently came back and is trying to, I guess, resurge his career. But I mean, I, it's tough to say. Like, I feel like he's, he's an, the hype that he received early on in his career maybe wasn't, you know, super predictive of, of what was to come. Like, he, I don't think he's going to get to the level that they once thought, but I definitely would hope he doesn't get sent to the sent to hell by Teofimo Lopez anytime soon. Cause you know, he's still, I still think he has talent and he has potential, but it's just a matter of, you know, which fights are going to help build him up to the, at least confidence wise to the point where he's ready to, to maybe challenge some of the upper, the better fighters in the division. Yeah. He uh he did look pretty good. He he survived late in the fight, which is uh, a liability that he's shown in his sole defeat when he was stopped late. Uh, he put on a good performance, and he was probably as effective against Brian Vasquez as Raimundo Beltran was uh, when when they fought, I believe, last year. Uh, also on the card, we had a couple impressive knockouts. Carlos Adamas got a good knockout. Edgar Barlanga got a 46-second knockout. And in the first fight of the card, we had unbeaten Bantamweight Lawrence B.T. Newton win a six-round unanimous decision uh, to open up the action. Talking about a five-foot-eight-inch Bantamweight, very tall, wow. rangy fighter, boxer that I grew up with, actually, and we boxed together as amateurs. Uh, he's also training with Bo Mack, uh, Brian McIntyre, Terrence Crawford's trainer. He got a lot of good experience, and uh, we'll feature a short interview with him later on in this podcast. But he said he got a lot of good experience training with Crawford side-by-side. And uh, Bo Mack put in a good word for him at the press conference, certainly a word that got Bob Arum's attention. So, you know, we'll see whether or not he gets signed with top rank in the future. I certainly hope him the best in this. Nice. Do you have any um, insider sparring wars to tell us about between <laughs> you two? Well, actually, when we when we sparred together, I was uh, I was about. 80 pounds and he was like 65 pounds. So it wasn't too competitive uh, <laughs> with the weight differential. He's always, uh, he was a very small amateur for a long time. He's still relatively small at 118 pounds, but you know, I think that lanky framework lends well to his style. I would like to see him use his, his, uh, his ranginess a little more. He was working on the inside more than I thought he should, but nonetheless, he won all six rounds uh, or at least five of the six rounds and cruised to an easy decision against Jonathan Garza, kind of a tough journeyman never been stopped before. So we have Lawrence BT Newton with us who improved to 12 and 0 with the unanimous decision over Jonathan Garza. How would you rate your performance tonight, BT? I'll rate my performance. I'll give myself a like a C plus. I could know I could do way better than that. And my body wasn't used to the um, training camp that I did. But it was a great training camp. But I gotta get used to the training. So tell us what it was like to train with Terrence Crawford for this fight. Oh, it was great. It was a great. I love I love training with Terrence. He pushed, he pushed me, he pushed me so much. Uh, did he did you learn anything from the camp that uh, you haven't gotten from anywhere else before? Yeah, um, well, stepping over. Well, really just putting it all together, really. 
Throw, use my shots, keep moving my head, and use my angles. So what was it like fighting in the Madison Square Garden main arena at such an early portion of your career? Oh, it was it, it was great. It was just, you feel me, it was just in my head that I knew that like this is the biggest stage or the biggest. What do you see as the next step for your Anyways, so uh, Danny Garcia on PBC, he came back his first fight since his loss to Sean Porter last year. He fought Adrian Granados. Got a stoppage victory over him. A couple highlight-worthy knockdowns in there. He got him out of there, I believe, in the seventh round. What was your view of his performance? I think it was a good performance. He, he it was emphatic victory. You know, he put it on Granados, and I think that's what you want to see. He's coming off, I believe, it's back-to-back losses. Is that correct, Adrian? Uh, you're talking about Danny Garcia? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't back? think it's back to back because he beat uh, Brian. Excuse me, he beat Brandon Rios after he lost to Thurman. Uh, if I'm getting that correct, it was his loss to Thurman. Then he beat Rios. Yeah. And then he lost to Sean Porter, and now um, he just beat Adrian Granados. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was he needed to win this, and he looked impressive, which was important. And you know, just to stay in the mix there, obviously at welterweight, everyone expected him to win. But at the fact that he, you know, performed impressively and got the finish, brutalized Granados at different points was was like you know, it's a it's a it's a important fight for him to show that he's still at the upper upper echelon of the division. And, you know, rematches with Thurman and Porter potentially down the road are available. You know, a fight against Spence. Just to be in that mix with the top welterweights, PBC is important. Like, if he wants to if he wants to get those fights, which I obviously think he wants to avenge any of the losses or fight Spence, that this was an important step to help show that he's earned those fights. Yeah, definitely. I, I just hope he's not being groomed to be an opponent for the likes of Earl Spence. Uh, you know, he's certainly a real talent and he could have easily gotten the two decisions over Keith Thurman and Sean Porter, both very, very close fights, very competitive fights. Uh, I Honestly, I think fights that made me more of a fan of Danny Garcia than in many of his winning efforts previously. I know he got a few controversial decisions in the past that a lot of people thought he shouldn't have gotten, most notably against Mauricio Herrera. Uh, but I, I think he's a very talented fighter, and it looks like he still has a lot left in him. He doesn't look like he is uh, uh, aging from from some of the wars he's engaged in earlier in his career. And uh, I think, yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, go ahead. I think what, like you know, in those losses, what what's been a tough issue for him is you know the activity, like being able to sustain, throw, not get outworked, you know. So so be, having a high volume of offense, and I think that's it's going to be important for him because he's a great counter puncher, but sometimes you need to see him like, you know, take take the offensive role and yeah. put more out there to to ensure that he doesn't get outworked. Definitely. So earlier this week, we got some bad news. Uh, another PED scandal in the heavyweight division, no less. We had Jarrell Big Baby Miller testing positive for a drug known as GW1516 on March 20th, random VADA drug test. Uh, just when that was disappointing enough, then he was tested positive for two more PEDs and two subsequent drug tests later this week, including human growth hormone. And uh, God, I have no idea why a guy that big would need to get even bigger with human growth hormone. I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around that one. And I don't think any of the writers next to me were able to as well. Uh, it's kind of ironic because you know, being at the press conference for Miller and Joshua, you know, Jerome Miller accused Joshua of using PEDs during the press tour. <laughs> and he's the one that gets busted, of course. Yeah. 
and and not only that, but it's like I feel like over the years he's always had issues being like too heavy in terms of his weight, and he'd say all he does is eat cheeseburgers. It's like he doesn't look like some. He's just big, but he doesn't look muscular, ripped like Joshua. You know, he's like just, just to me seems like yeah, I don't know what steroids he's taking, but uh, it's. They haven't looked like he's been taking them, but nonetheless, it's it's really unfortunate. That's uh, a big fight that gets you know falls through. Now they're obviously looking for another opponent, but it just you know very. This was his big shot. He's always clamored, said he's been wanting to fight the you know whether it's Fury, Wilder, or Joshua, and he finally gets a shot, and then he he blows it. And it's just you know it's I'm I'm, I'm thankful they caught it before because you know yeah. you never want to have that stuff happen after the fact. But it's just you know. It's just disappointing, and it's 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 pretty something that really, unfortunately, is a part of the sport. But really, you know, if it's not uncommon, and we'd rather just see it, you know, find them do a better job of detecting them. And obviously, this was an important step because they at least they found it. But it's just you know the PDs thing. It's just it's it's just another black eye. Definitely, yeah. So in terms of who's next for Joshua. Uh, or who will fill in the shoes of Big Baby Miller on June 1st. We've heard Michael Hunter is a leading contender. He's a once-beaten former cruiserweight title challenger. He really took a bad beating in the hands of Alexander Usyk in April of 2017. I was actually there for that fight. He he uh, went the distance, but I, I honestly do somewhat criticize referee Bill Clancy for not stepping in in the 12th round. He looked like uh, anyone else would have stopped that fight. Uh, he was completely outgunned, and two years later, he's going to be fighting a a bigger, more dangerous opponent in Anthony Joshua. Kind of fell off. Uh, I, I, I didn't hear much about Michael Hunter after the Alexander Rusek fight, so this somewhat caught me by surprise. I think I might have heard his name here or there on social media, but uh, you know, I was I was expecting to, to be a fighter like Trevor Bryan, one of those secondary WBA title uh, holders, undefeated Trevor Bryan. Not that. Um, I would be more excited about that fight. It's just, uh, you know, I guess I'm just happy to see Joshua fighting. But would any would any uh, last minute opponent excite you uh, for June 1st, including a Michael Hunter? I mean, not really. Like it's kind of, I guess, whoever they put in there is not going to be favored to win, and is most likely going to, you know, take a lot of punishment just because Joshua is that type of fighter. I don't know. It's just, to me, it just, it really, it's not like I was looking forward so much to the Miller fight to begin with, but at the same time, at least it was like a, an intriguing matchup and someone that could, you know, at least offer a challenge to Joshua. And I don't believe that the replacement opponent will be able to do that. So it's kind of puts a, a damper on things for me. Yeah. I mean, not only is it a, uh, a, a replacement for Joshua, it's a, it's a one month replacement. You have one month to get ready for arguably the best heavyweight in the world in Anthony Joshua, who has been training for Jarrell Miller this whole time. He's, I believe he's been in Gleason's gym training, Brooklyn, New York for this fight. Uh, so he's already accustomed to the States. He's already, uh, already, uh, well into his training camp and some, some poor bastard's going to have to take a beating from him. It's just a matter of who, who's going to save the show. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the heavyweight division, we had a pretty interesting fight get announced recently. With July 20th at the O2 Arena, we have Dillian White uh, going up against Oscar Rivas, who's from Montreal, moved to Montreal, and coming off a big victory over Bryant Jennings. What What is your opinion of this fight? I mean, this is a, I think it's a good fight. Dillian White 
taking on a, a you know a, a top contender in that division. He's he's obviously won Dillian White's one of the biggest fights, and I think this is a good fight in that sense. It's it's a, he's going up against a top rated guy, and, and Oscar Rivas, you know, he has just become more popular because of his fight against Brian Jennings, that late, late fight knockout. So that was impressive. So I think, you know, it's a good step for both guys. You know, if the, either whoever comes out of this fight victorious, that puts them in line to challenge one of the, you know, the top three guys in the division, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping <laughs> foolishly, of course, that Dillian White would be that replacement for Jarrell Big Baby Miller. I, I honestly wanted to see the White fight more than the Miller fight. Uh, for Joshua, because I think Dillian White has some unfinished business with Joshua, and he did hurt Joshua in their fight when they were both, uh, before reaching their prime, both fighters had each other hurt, and Joshua ultimately ended up with the victory. I think that would be a logical rematch to make. I think that'd be a meaningful fight to make. And I think Dillian White is somewhat underestimated by a lot of the top heavyweights in the world right now, and I hope Eddie Hearn gives him a shot to prove himself once again. Yeah, and no, for sure. I I think it's a good chance for Oscar Rivas too. You know, a fellow Canadian, and I think this is his big opportunity as well. Like, like you know, if he goes in there into foreign territory in you know his opponent's backyard, so to speak, and and he and I think in, if he wins, it'd be a big upset and a chance for really for him to get you know a meaningful fight. And it's always nice to see the Canadians fighting and and especially abroad doing their thing. So I I, I look forward to that fight. I think it could be a good one. Definitely. So uh, speaking of Montreal fighters, you got a chance to interview Ian McKillop uh, not too long ago. Journeyman of 40 fights, fought two former world champions and Daniel Giel and current Centrone. Also fought former world title challenger Manny Gomez. Um, what was your take of Ian McKillop? Uh, how does he seem to be doing? Well, he's good. I, I um, he, he his owns a gym called Donnybrook, so it's a gym not too. I mean, it's not too far from where I am here in Montreal, and so I'd been there actually a few times. I'd done some 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 of classes with him and some of his other coaches. So it's it's a small little gym, but he has some you know big things going in terms of his promotional uh, venture because he he has a, a promotional company that stages fights in New Brunswick, which is his home his home province, and. Just he's talked about, you know, the show coming up. It's in May, which of the fighters are on the card to look out for. So it's just like, you know, he, he has that going. Also, he, you know, he trains fighters here in Montreal. One of his main, uh, you know, best fighters is Shaquille Finn, the Jamaican oh, wow. juggernaut. So mm -hmm. he has some has had some good fights at the casino here. And, he, you know, he is a big fight coming up in June. So he, he works with a few other fighters as well. But that's kind of his his most known pupil and so yeah so it was it was nice to go to the gym you know talk to him hear about you know how he got into the promotional side of things and uh, it was a great conversation and yeah, hopefully i'll get more chance to speak to him about you know after the show takes place here how it went and you know discuss his other fighters that he's working with so it, it was it was good to you know see some local a, a local personality in the fight game and someone that you know is is really gearing towards big things coming up Great stuff, Jamie. So yeah, we're going to close out with the interview with Ian McCallop. Thanks so much, Jamie, for coming on. This is Jamie, M excuse me, this is Jamie Rebner of thefightcity.com. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, fans, that is episode 19 of the Fight City podcast. Stay tuned for an interview between Jamie Rebner and Ian McCallop. See you next time.
Okay, so most of the people from the Fight City know you in terms of your article that was published about your career as a fighter and as a trainer. So I just wanted to get into the promoting side. So kind of, how did that start up? Where do you, I know it's, you do it in Halifax, is that correct? No, uh, New Brunswick, New Brunswick, sorry? yeah, New Brunswick, yeah. Uh, I had uh, a buddy of mine who, a guy I've known for 25, 30 years, became the commissioner of boxing. Uh, for the province of Brunswick, his name is uh, Danny Legere. And, uh, you know, and, and so when he started, when he took over the commission, it made sense to, uh, to uh, promote up there. I knew, I knew he, he really understands the sport. He'd do a good job. And, and uh, yeah, so it just was kind of a natural progression. So how long after, like, your... your well, like a year after was my first show. In the meantime, Brandon Brewer did a couple of shows, and they were quite successful. Okay. And you saw the people in New Brunswick have a, a love for boxing, and, uh, yeah, so that was it. Okay, so there's... How many shows have you done so far? This is going to be my sixth show. Okay. Yeah. And it's all there? Yeah, they've all, okay. they've all been there, yeah. Okay. And I think in, in the future, we're talking... I, I'm partners, actually, in this company. We kill a promotion with, with my aunt, Della, who uh, has a pretty successful plumbing company okay. in Moncton. And I think we're, we plan on uh, uh, opening up a little more and doing maybe some more shows uh, in other places in the Maritimes, maybe some in Nova Scotia. We've okay. got about Prince Edward Island as well. Okay. Possibly St. John's, Newfoundland. So. Okay, awesome. There's lots of room up there, and there's lots of fight fans in the Maritimes. So right. It kind of makes sense. Right. That's the natural next mm -hmm. step. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are, like, I guess, challenges as a promoter? Like, I don't know. If, since <laughs> you, you, you saw it from the other side, right? Yeah. You were a fighter, yeah. you were a trainer. How would you say it's... It's, it's, it's much, uh, much more work than I first anticipated, that's for sure. There's a, it's a much bigger financial investment on the side of the promoter than I, than I ever realized. Okay. I mean, from, from, the, uh, from the doctors to the ambulance to the security you have to provide... And the deposits to the, to the commission, it all adds up fast, and it's a, a much bigger venture than, than, I, than I ever ever imagined, you know. Like logistically? Logistically, yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, just and financially, too. It's a, it's a big financial risk. Uh, to put even a small show, say like a show in Moncton where we do, uh, you know, the place only holds $750. Uh, sorry, 750 people. That place costs about... The, to put on the smallest event costs close to forty thousand dollars. Right. So that's a big investment for a you know a small place. Right. So, lucky for us, we've put on really good shows and we've had some pretty good success. Right. And my aunt is a, is a, a very good with money. She she's um, like uh, she makes up for all the parts that I lack. I'm good at the boxing and she's right. great with paperwork and money and taxes. Right. And right. That's kind of her expertise. The behind the scenes, so, yeah. very important things. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Right. Okay, that's awesome. So it's like, it's taking time, but you feel as you yeah. build up the name, you'll be able to... Yeah, it's growing, yeah. We right. have uh, this place we're doing the fight, May 4th holds uh, close to 3,000 people. So it's a pretty good-sized crowd. We did one there last year. At the same time, we had about 1,500 people, so I expect... We'll probably do at least 2,000 okay. this time, if not more. You know, the last show was a, a success, and the fights were fantastic. So, And, I mean, the city of Miramichi, it's a blue-collar city. There, there are a lot of blue-collar <laughs> workers there. 
and, you know, these people have money and not much going on, and and, um, and they all love they all love to fight and love to watch fights, and you right. know, it's kind of the maritime mentality. Right. Yeah, so as long as you, and the fights we put on are good fights, they're not the one side, lopsided fights you see sometimes on bigger promotions, these are all 50-50 fights, you know, right. so. Well, because I heard you say that in the, a great, the Great Fight North podcast, you said yeah. that's very important to you is the matchmaking in yeah. the events and. 100%, yeah, yeah, I'm not for the, the lopsided, you know who's going to win fights, I mean, I've gone to some fights, I won't name the promoters, but I've gone to some fights where I've known from top to bottom, exactly who's going to win. There's no, there's no suspense, right. no intrigue, right. you know, and that, that's 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 the beauty of boxing, you know. And and when that's gone, you're just buying a show. You might as well go to the movies or go see right. a concert. Right. And also, it's like like you were saying, it's the people they want to see. You want to put on a product that they're going to want to see. Yeah. No one wants to see a, a clear decision, a clear win yeah. for one yeah. guy versus the other every time. Like. It's about building the audience, and if they want to see that as well, like they exactly like a big fancy show with uh, you know fireworks and bright lights, and I mean it will sell once or twice. Right. But in the maritimes, it will only sell once or twice. Right. You know, ultimately these guys want to see real fights. And, right. And whether the, there are guys like Shaquille, I had Shaquille there in a couple of years ago, my first show actually, mm-hmm. or guys like uh, Nathan Millier, or even some guys. I have some guys on this card with with. Uh, 50-50 records, as long as they put on a good fight, it's about the fights. Right. And, and that's what these people pay to see. They right. want to see good competitive fights. And look, the, the, our last show in Miramichi, we had uh, Nathan Millier fought the main event. He fought um, an opponent with, uh, with a, about a 50-50 record. Uh, so initially there were some people saying, oh, this is, oh look, you're, this is a set match again. And, and I, the, but the matchmaker, the Mexican matchmaker, who I know quite well, who does, always does a fantastic job, and who only deals with real fighters, said, this guy is really good, Ian. It's a tough fight. I think this guy may be Nathan. And um, so during the fight, it was an eight-round fight, very close competitive fight. And in the sixth round, what happens But the guy drops Nathan with a monstrous left hook, hits him right in the button, <laughs> and Nathan goes down. The crowd goes dead silent because, I mean, there were all, I mean, half the place was pulling Nathan's supporters. Right. And... Uh, the place went dead silent. I mean, I, I said the fight's over for sure. The guy hit Nathan with a perfect shot. And the guy had some power too. And somehow Nathan pulled himself up and, and, uh, and the fight continued and Nathan ended up pulling off a very close decision win in a, in a great fight. I mean, they're, they're the fights that, that uh, you know, people remember. Right. We also had Logan McGinnis fought a, a Mexican guy who was 17 wins, 11 losses. Logan was 25 and one. And... Uh, and the Mexican guy was, was a, a very tough fighter, though. He had fought world-class opponents in the past. And uh, he, he really won the fight. The judges ended up ruling the fight a draw, which I guess was a fair decision. But uh, at the end of the fight, you look at their faces, you could see that Edgar Ramirez, who, who was a Mexican, didn't have a mark on his face. And Logan looked like he'd been beat up by a gang of 20 people. So. Right. So and but but yeah, like I said, they're the fights people remember. And at the end of the end, at the end of that fight, everyone's on their feet and they're all cheering for the the Mexicans because they, they don't care where you're from, whether you're from New Brunswick or Canada or Mexico. As long as you put on a good fight, they'll love you there. And, right. And that that's the beauty of boxing in the Maritimes. Right. No, I think they're that's... they're more true fans. Right. And, and there's a lot of true fans in Montreal. Montreal is one of the greatest boxing cities. Yeah. In 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 the world, but there's a lot a lot of good a lot of good boxing people in the Maritimes. That's awesome, and that's how you know, like the, the, the 
dieheartedness of the fight of the fight fans that are watching because those are the yeah. people that are really going to cheer for those types of, of scraps and battles, exactly. Exactly. not just the names, right? Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, and so in that sense, in this card coming up, do you want to just tell us a bit about like when it is and uh, maybe yeah. some of the guys that it's are? It's May fourth. We have a pretty pretty stacked card. We have uh, eight fights. Um, we have uh, Chris Norad, who's, who's uh, seven, 16 and 0 as a heavyweight. He's a big 230-pound heavyweight. Uh, you know, 16 and 0 being a big white heavyweight is, is close to being, you know, taking that next step. Right. Uh, he's finding a pretty tough guy from, from Mexico. Um, we have Annie Majdal, who's, who's uh, a very good fighter, good female fighter. She's a heavyweight. She's fighting a tough Mexican opponent as well. We have Donald Batman in the main event fighting... Uh, for the CPBC international title against uh, a guy named Emmanuel Armendariz from, from Mexico, who's a former Mexican champion. And that's a tough, tough fight. It's not an easy opponent for, for Dominic. So all three of those fights could go either way. I mean, there's, you know, they're, they're tough fights. I also have Jessica Camara, a girl from my gym here in Montreal, who's a former a na national amateur champion, who's fighting the former Mexican national amateur champion. So okay. they're both five and one. The Mexican girl actually is six and one, just as five and one. So that's a it's a good, even fight as well. So, right. Yeah. Awesome. So those are the people to look out for. Yeah, we uh, we have a good heavyweight fight too. I have uh, uh, Tanner Wilshaw. He's a podcast. He's from uh, Saskatchewan. Okay. He's a big, big, monstrous guy. <laughs> He's fighting, uh, making his pro debut. He's done some MMA before in kickboxing in the past. Okay. Uh, some pro MMA. He's fighting Joel Story Graham, who's three and one as a pro, in a heavyweight fight. So that'll be interesting. So we have two big heavyweight fights on the card, and all all four of the heavyweights involved are, are big, big men. I mean, they're not small heavyweights. They're all well over two thirty. So, so it should be should be an interesting. Big show. guys throwing down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And anyone local? Like, are those were those? Does that include some of the local? Uh, we yeah we have uh, we have. Um, Kenny Cherry from our gym is funny. Alex Paul, who's a, a local from there, okay. he's a native guy. He's a, Kenny's jumping up two weight classes to make this fight happen. Uh, so Alex, Alex is a big, big guy. He's he's a legitimate light heavyweight. Kenny's a uh, a junior middleweight, so it's a pretty big jump up for Kenny. But uh, you know, Ken, Ken's pretty experienced, more experienced than Alex. So that'll be an interesting fight. Paul's a big, strong guy. He's a native. Uh, he has a lot of supporters up there. And, and uh, we, uh, so that, that'll be a good one too. I mean, they're, they're really all good fights. I mean, Kenny obviously is the more skilled boxer of the two, but uh, sometimes Scott, size is just too much to overcome. And so we'll see in that fight right. what's going to happen there. You know, right. Maybe Alex will just be too big for him. Right. Or maybe Kenny will just be too skilled for Alex. But it's a, it's, it's a legitimate 50 50 fight. So uh, we have, uh, and the opener is going to be uh, Marcel Maillet against uh, Luke Noel. Uh, both tough guys. They fought once before. Marcel won a decision in, in, a, in a brawl. So I expect the exact same thing in this fight. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that that rounds out the card. It's it's uh, 
It's, it's really going to be a turn. I'm actually excited to see it. That's, yeah. That sounds and, great. And I, I know it's a, it's a good boxing card when, when I'm excited because I, I've seen so many I don't get excited by much anymore. Right. Yeah. That's cool. And so I guess being in this promoter role, what would you say are some of the biggest things you've learned so far? I think, uh, I think uh, it's not so much what I learned. It's just reinforced some of the things that I've already felt like you know, fighters for the most part, the actual boxers are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. They're honest, they're sincere, they do what they say. Uh, if you treat them fair, they'll treat you the fair the, the same way, right? So, uh, it's some of the other people that, you know, some of the people outside, some of the people who aren't the fighters are, are the slimy ones, you know. Uh, but, but the actual fighters are some of the best people I met. Uh, and, and, no, I, I truly enjoy dealing with fighters. I enjoy it. I love watching them grow. And, and uh, you know, Dominic Bamino, the main event on the show, he's an he's international level guy. He, he could compete. He will compete at an international level, I think. He, uh, maybe a world level. Uh, you know, guys like Chris Nora, too, he's one or two fights away from a big fight. Uh, you know, you, you get the 20 and 0 as a heavyweight, especially a white heavyweight. You're looking at making life-changing amounts of money. Not peanuts, not five or ten thousand dollars. You're looking at making like big six-figure purses. So he's not that far away. And so to come from a place like New Brunswick, where where boxing is not a huge thing, and all of a sudden be looking at you know potentially making a life-changing amount of money in the next year is a pretty pretty good way to come. Right. And there's some good amateurs too now in New Brunswick. The sport's really growing in the province. There's a uh, a uh, couple serious fighters in St. John, New Brunswick, amateurs. We had a girl who won the the World Youth Championship. She she and she not only won won the won for a week last. She won the most outstanding female fighter of the tournament. So that's a pretty big thing coming from a small province uh, to being the best in the world. It's, it's a pretty big thing. We had a native, you know, we had another kid from my buddy's gym in St. John who, uh, who won the uh, Canada Games too a few months ago. So these guys are, you know, some they've always been tough for me. But the, the people there have lacked little skill. The training hasn't been at the highest level, but they're tough, tough men and women. So. Now that the training's improving. Right, so it is. You see, yeah. there's, is there more gyms? There yeah, there's coaches? more gyms. There's better coaches. There's, you know, it's, it's really catching up to the rest of... Really, I mean, right now, I think the large part is due to the fact that the commission is so good in New Brunswick. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's helped a lot. It's helped a lot. It's huge. Awesome. Well, any other thing you'd like to say about the show or anything in general? Yeah, everything is good. I mean, nothing, nothing else really to say. No, it's, it's going in a really positive direction. And uh, I think uh, the combination of my aunt and myself, you know, give, really gives this company a chance to, to do well. So right. that's, I'm excited. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck you. with the show. Hope it goes well. Oh, it will go, definitely. Thanks. Have a good one. Hopefully you're gonna...